Welcome to episode 67 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike, the big movie of the month is West Side Story. And what we're going to be doing in this episode is reviewing the film and kind of giving a brown and black perspective to what this movie means. And I have a lot of questions for you. I know you have questions for me. Dude, I've been waiting all year to ask you questions. (laughs) (laughs) So. So why don't we get right into it and review West Side Story? This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm going to think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend or foe? If you go with him, no one will ever forgive you. Unless you've been hiding under a rock for a long time, you've heard of West Side Story. West Side Story is something that is a piece of pop culture. It's an iconic film. It was based on the 1957 Broadway smash hit, Tony Winner, and it became an award-winning film in 1961. But there was a few problems with it if you were not a white person. It was, in many ways, a takeoff on Romeo and Juliet, but... The protagonist and the antagonists, the Puerto Ricans and the Irish and and poor whites of New York at the time that this was taking place were represented by two different gangs. And the actors, well, I guess, Jack, that's really where you come in. A lot of women look up to 
Maria or a lot of Latinas looked up to Maria at the time because there really wasn't other, any other representation of a Latina or especially being Puerto Rican. But there was a problem. Yeah, that there was a whitewashing of the Latino Puerto Rican characters, which is the most offensive thing you can do on screen, uh, period. Why? For the full myriad of reasons that is common sense and much more historical uh, that 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 makes this so offensive. So Spielberg decides to amend this in this remake, Mike. Well, not only did he decide to amend it because he's been quoted now that the reason he wanted to reimagine it was he wanted to get it right. So the problem potentially with getting it right is, well, getting it right from whose perspective and whose definition, and you're going to tell us what is right in terms of how to represent our culture. I definitely can relate to that happening as an African-American, as to white producers, filmmakers, storytellers, as liberal and as open-minded and as good-hearted as they are or want to be, wanting to, quote-unquote, tell your story or tell your story better or tell something of the experience of life in America being other than white. Problem is that it's not us telling that story. That's right. And uh, West Side Story arrives at a time when Latino critics are looking at the film as a cultural barometer for what's going to happen with Latin culture. Is this the movie that's going to make Hollywood executives salivate for our culture? Remember, we feel really invisible in this country. So the belief is if West Side Story succeeds, it's going to lead to a Latino renaissance. But if it fails, we go back to being at the bottom of the hierarchy totem pole. And with underrepresentation still being the biggest threat to Latino progress uh, in media and entertainment, this movie is that cultural cross now for the whole Hispanic community. And it's unfair, you know, for, for, for putting that much weight on a film. It puts a lot of pressure on the actors, man. I, I do think that a lot of the actors are looking at this December 10th uh, release date for West Side Story with a little bit of a pit in their stomach. Uh, I, I think there's a lot to take from it. I think there's, you know, uh, a lot of these actors are going to be stars. I think these are vehicles for them to make more mainstream work and and and, and not be seen as Latinos. Like, no one looks at JLo as a Latina anymore. You know, she's much more than that. She's a global entity. And I think a lot of these Hispanic actors don't want to be Hispanic actors. They want to be actors, much like what Andy Garcia said. So a lot riding on this film, Mike. Well, I think there's a lot riding on this film, but I would say this at this point. What you said is true and would have been true a week ago, that if the film does well, if it's received well, it'll bode well for Latinos. Uh, if it doesn't, it won't bode well. But I'm talking box office numbers. They're already predicting that this is between 10 and $15 million uh, in terms of it's going to be in the teens. That's terrible because if you remember in the Heights box office, it came in almost under $10 million. There are a lot of factors at work here. So this is the opening weekend for the film. If it does decent box office, what will that mean? If it does poor box office, what will that mean? If it does better than they expect, those three scenarios, that's what I want to discuss with you first. Well, see, that, that's an interesting point right here, okay? Because we're if we're trying to sway the momentum towards the Latino Renaissance option, right? 
what are we defining as success? Is it white validation within Hollywood? Is that enough to create a renaissance? Or do we need all of America to embrace West Side Story and that Latino angle the way they embraced Crazy Rich Asians? Is this the Crazy Rich Asians movie? Even though the movie isn't really a Latino movie, but the focus for this remake is based on getting them right. So they're the central theme of why the movie even exists. So that's that's what I'm... I, I don't know the answer to that, Mike. What do you think? Is it the Hollywood hierarchy? Or is it the mass consumer moviegoer that decides whether there's a Latino renaissance or not? Here's what I, I'm, I'm beginning to realize now. Um, you know, you we'd had a conversation and we've had conversations a little bit about box office and and or or more importantly, like you said, the Latino Renaissance option. That option, I think, only gets ignited if this is a box office success. Uh, you know, you talk about white validation. That means all the critics love it. All right. Well, we already know all the critics love it. It's like a 93 uh, on Rotten Tomatoes and 89. It's 89 and 93. I forget which is audience, which is uh, uh, critics, but everybody loves it. But will it make a lot of money? Will it make enough money? And if it does, is that because of the source material? Is it because people care about Latinos? Is it because of Spielberg? All right. So if it's not any one thing, what will Hollywood come away with? Hollywood follows the money. So some of these actors, obviously their careers are going to be ignited. That, that always happens in these kind of things. But the real question is, will it lead to Latinos being able to tell their own story? Sure, they may greenlight some things, but does that mean now another white filmmaker can come along and make a Latino story and another white filmmaker? Or does it mean Latinos will get to control their stories? Or does it mean in the case of Guillermo del Toro, where his latest film, I don't think there's a Latino in the cast except him. And I, and I have to wonder about that. I, I feel like Okay, you're here, but well, again, you're 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 projecting a responsibility that he might not uh, he might not embrace. That's the thing, or be unknown to, or it doesn't belong to him. You know, Robert Rodriguez talked about this. You know, one day when I asked him about is it the responsibility of these directors, Alfonso, Guillermo, Alejandro, to take upon themselves to make a Latino movie star. Here's, here's what he said. I don't know that you say it's a responsibility. It's something that I definitely see as, as my, something that I can offer. Um, and you got to understand all three of those that you mentioned, they're not from here. So when they're in Mexico, you're right. They can make movies that are completely Mexican. When they're here, they can feel free to make movies that are American. Because I'm Mexican-American, um, I prefer to make my, you know, to try and help change the situation here for filmmakers here by giving more filmmakers that are here their voice so they can cast more, you know, the kind of, you know, actors and, and write the roles that reflect more their, their life here in the States as a, as a minority in the States, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a very different, different than things. I love what he said here because that to me brings it to the core, like, okay, so then what will come of this? What, is the best case scenario. What's the best case scenario from the success of West Side Story? And that's a question I have to you. What do you think is the best case scenario that you could see connecting the dots, how that's going to lead to that? Because West Side Story, 
like you said, like like Guillermo, like, uh, like Robert Rodriguez says, maybe West Side Story doesn't want to be the representation of everything, everything, or maybe it does. And, and, and should it? And what will that mean? All right. To me, in the arts community for Latinos, man, there is no interest in us. What I'm really looking to get out of West Side Story is that this movie allows every streaming service to have a flagship Latinx film. Why? So my actor friends can work and pay for their bills and and, and have their talents be recognized. Look, a lot of these cast members, in, they were already talented. They were like the, the, the most popular, most talented people in their schools. Like they're recognized amongst their circles as the best of the best. Except that the best of the best weren't given a platform or a stage to show off. So if you're competing and you're excluding a group, like the way baseball excluded blacks, and we all knew that blacks were the best baseball players of their era, Babe Ruth even knows that. But they excluded them, so how good are you really? Why don't you invite everybody in and then we'll see who the true stars are? And I just felt that that's been a missing piece. I don't think it's been intentional because it looks like race and ethnicity in Hollywood is a cyclical thing. But damn, it's been a long time, man, since, since La Bamba. So I think it's time, and I think it's a long time. It's like the Knicks don't win a, an NBA championship. You start feeling it. You start feeling it. And I think this is what I need to get out. I need to see all of my circle, my community in the arts, Latinos, be on that stage. Well, I, I think that that's the best case scenario. And I think the best case scenario in terms of, again, the, the Latino Renaissance option is that, again, because Latinos are not monolithic, there are so many nuances. There are so many stories to tell. There are so many things that we, I say, when I say we, I'm saying, let's just say in this case, the American movie going audience or uh, what is seen as American film. For the Latino, what is that? Maybe on one hand, you can count films that are, are iconic and quote unquote represent the American Latino experience. And I think that is a very specific thing that I don't know what to make completely of 60 years later. The best they can do is remake that. Well, Mike, I think it's time for our review. One to 10, Mike. What did you think of the film? Um, I'll be honest. I thought it was very good. One to 10. All right, nine. Wow, look at that. Okay, I gave it an eight and a half, which okay. is excellent. But uh, it's these accents are the only thing I could not mm -hmm. get over. It's a biological reaction. I can't listen to them. You could rationalize it with dialect coaches, and but it just doesn't sound right to me. And it's a distraction. And so for me specifically, doesn't I don't have to generalize for it, but this was my own personal, individual, single experience with it. And that's why I give it an eight and a half. But me, that's me overcoming that and still giving it almost a nine. You got a chance to sit down with the cast. What was... Was there any moment that you wanted to bring here on the show to share with our listeners based on, because we, I know we touched upon some things you must have talked about in the interview. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to the cast, but it was Ariana DeBose who answered my question on the criticism of these accents that the Puerto Ricans had in the 1950s in the film that sounded a little cartoony. Here's what she said. 
there was so much research and, and attention to detail that went into cultivating these accents. We had the best dialect coaches. The reality is in 1957, the way Spanish was spoken, very different than the way Spanish is spoken today, specifically Puerto Rican Spanish. So, you know, we really relied on the guidance and leadership of the folks that were brought in. And we had incredible dialect coaches, Victor Cruz for the Sharks, Tom Jones for the Jets. Um, and quite frank, I, I think the only thing that I can tell you is I'm incredibly proud of the way the Spanish is represented in the context of our film. I understand why you wince at these accents. I'm very sensitive to the representation of how, quote unquote, black folks talk. And I used to wince at the, the dialogue that would be written for black actors that was clearly written by white people thinking this is how black people talk. But then black people had to act that out and then it would just perpetuate the stereotypes. So I definitely understand where you're coming from. But does that make you rethink it now? Do you do you still have the issue with the accents? No, I think I rationalized it. I said, oh, OK, but my biology still winces. My, um, it's still a little cringeworthy to me, especially in some scenes. And um, I, I'm sorry. You know, again, I, I wouldn't say I'm a representative of the whole Latino movie going community, but I'm just going to speak for myself. Whether it's accurate or not, if I was talking like that back then, I would want to tone it down just for me. Well, you know, but can I say something to that? You know, when you said that, you just made me realize something and, and because and I've, I've felt guilty of myself, like there's a part of you that rejects that accent because it was mocked, because it was not just the accent by itself. It's not it's, it's not as if that accent, you know, you know, there's there's certain cliches or stereotypes that are maybe not so derogatory. You know, the, the Latin lover, you know, OK, I talk to you like this. All right. That could be offensive. That's not as offensive as what do you mean, ma? You know, so. They both. Well, they're both stereotypes, Mike. The Latin lover is a stereotype. That's that, my. Well, that's my that point. Pepe, even Pepe Le Pew was using. You know it, exactly. It, we've, we've mocked it at nauseum. But but that's my point. My point is, it becomes a stereotype. It's based in some kind of fact, obviously, but it's become so much of a stereotype that you wince. You know, it's like like black people saying certain things like you watch anything from the 70s. It's like, yo, man. Hey, daddy. Oh, it's like, yeah, some people talk like that. It's accent PTSD. dude. That's what it is, man. <laughs> it's accent PTSD, man. And and I got hit with a lot of that. And I was like, no way, man. I, I, I can't embrace accent that. But PTSD. what did you most like about the film? Did you like this new take? Did you feel that they achieved the updating the, the proper updating that it needed, the amendments that Spielberg promised. And did you think there was entertainment value? What did you think of the music? Did you think the music still held that classic power over the film? Well, I do. I think the music's pretty amazing. I mean, they're, they're amazing uh, songwriters. Uh, I, I think essentially it still completely works. I think it works even better now than it did in the original, especially because you don't have to like watch it trying to turn a blind eye to the the blatant, you know, Natalie Wood and Brownface stuff. But uh, what I liked best about this new West Side Story was the deeper context. And this is what I can relate to, you know, as a African-American, because it's happened to our community so many times in this country, where the reason these people are at odds for each other, you know, the white immigrants 
have gotten to the point where now they're the ones who can be racist or prejudiced against other immigrants. So now you've got warring immigrants who are now at war over a turf that is being taken from all of them by the ruling class. And so while this film, you know, you had mentioned at some point we spoke about it briefly and you said that, you know, there's no real protagonist, antagonist. The real villain here, the one in the background, the the Thanos in the background is white America and what they were doing to that part of the city at that time. For those of you that don't know, San Juan Hill was the neighborhood at the opening. The, the, as soon as the movie opens, the first image you see is the, the, the what looks like a nuclear disaster, a dystopia of a neighborhood back in the 1940s populated by Puerto Ricans and blacks um, called San Juan Hill. And the city of New York determined that it was a slum area and therefore it needed redevelopment. So they essentially brought it down to ashes and rebuilt it as the Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. So whenever you pass by that, remember, there was a neighborhood there with Puerto Ricans and blacks that were essentially annihilated for the white, rich elite. That's something that's happened all over this country and in other places in New York, specifically the Bronx. But it was interesting. That was a powerful commentary that I didn't think that the original... Well, you know, it's interesting. I could look at the original setting is sort of like when you see a Western. It's like, yeah, it's the Wild West. The real context is these white people had come to this country and were colonizing and, you know, killing everybody and, and you know, uh, wiping out in a genocide. That's what was really going on. But this was the Wild West and we were, um, you know, we were taming the West and that's that's the little bit of background that that's all the context you get for any Western. So if you really looked at the context of what was going on, to me, I think it adds a different layer to the story because in the end, they're all being manipulated. Mike, incredible cast, in my opinion, and not there weren't superstars here outside of Rita Moreno, but. I thought this was probably the best ensemble cast of 2021. Anybody in particular that you felt stood out more than anybody else? Well, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I, I think that uh, Anita is, she was the best character in the original. Ariana DeBose. Ariana DeBose was, you know, she was just, she was amazing, uh, I think. But I have to say, I also thought Mike Feist was pretty, amazing too yeah how, how would you describe his performance he was the leader of the jets he was pretty damn good i was really impressed with him I, I was impressed with just everything he brought to it i definitely think that uh this new uh tony was uh was perfect I, I liked him. I liked him a lot, and and I yeah. and I think his Ansel Elgort, uh, Ansel, yeah, Ansel Elgort was was perfect. And because I think the other thing is there's there's this one moment, I guess, in the casting of the last film, they cast the the other actor who played Tony was someone who who had features that you know in the right lighting maybe you thought he was Latino, and there's that moment when Maria gets to see him in the light and she's like, oh, you're not, oh, you're not Puerto Rican, you know, as if she, she didn't quite know right away. So it wasn't like she was attracted to him physically, but then once she realized he's not of her culture, the attraction didn't go away. I, I thought it was a nice metaphor. So for me, those are my two standouts. I really thought that um, this is the, you know, I, I think she did 
Rita Moreno uh, justice and, and re I think those are huge shoes to fill, and I think she filled them very well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I thought that Ariana DeBose was also the standout and the breakthrough performance and, and actress of the film. Uh, Mike, as you were watching the film, there was a moment that I'm sure your brain stopped for a second and go, whoa, what's going on here? And it was the moment that the Puerto Rican characters spoke Spanish without any subtitles. So my question to you as an African-American who doesn't speak Spanish as a native language, did it bother you that you couldn't understand what they were saying throughout this almost three-hour film? Not even a little, okay? Explain that to me. All right, well, you see, I don't think that I'm a, a good sample. Okay, but A, I live, you know, in the Dominican. Right? I live on in, in Washington Heights. So, I mean, everybody speaks Spanish. So, so you've been exposed I've always to been enough exposed. Spanish. I, always. And then, you know, my day job, I'm, you know, I'm around, everybody speaks Spanish but me. So I, I feel like I'm very used to, you know, I can pick up on intent. And I think that, that I think there's a reason why Spielberg did it. And I think it was a good choice. And I think it made sense. And I think that, that you don't need to know what they're saying. You just need to understand and you can from from what's going on. It doesn't take away. It it only adds to it and it adds another layer. And it's a layer that I think should be there. Well, that's great, man. That's great. For me, it was more of a true to life bilingual viewing experience where because I understand the language, because it's it's 50 50 with me, Spanish and in English, man, it felt so awesome to flip back and forth and to be a part of that awesome club that can understand that with the quickness and the speed, it was so empowering uh, to, to see that I felt, felt confident. I, I felt uh, like I was being, you know, inflated somehow. It, it was great, man. It was a great feeling. And I'm glad that, that he made that touch. Overall, Mike, here's my thoughts on West Side Story. I think that the update that was done to it is excellent. Some might argue that it might be better in terms of the power of its social commentary. Is it a better film? Time will only tell when we compare these two films together. You know, give five, ten years to this new retelling and let's see how they both look like. But I think this is an enjoyable film. I think it's an entertaining film. I think it's a film with depth. I think if you're Latino, you're going to come out of there feeling really Latino, even though uh, if you might be from Argentina, it's... This is a New York Latino movie. Understand that in Puerto Ricans here are really acting for all of us Latinos that have been oppressed. It's a smart updating. It's a socially aware updating. Uh, I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed the songs. I, I thought having that stronger context made all the songs resonate more, all the characterizations resonate more. This, for me, resonated more as a story that could take place uh, less of a fantasy to me and more of a story that could take place and that has and does take place. Because really what it comes down to, it's not just about class, but interracial relationships are a very complex thing, both ways, both sides, because to make the choice to be with someone that your family does not approve of, that's, that's a powerful thing. So I think the music held up. I think the performances are easily as strong as anything from the original. Uh, I'm perhaps better, maybe, because I, I'm, I'm seeing this for the first time as an adult, as opposed to seeing the original for the first time 
you know, when I was younger and impressionable. If my biggest criticism, because you didn't ask me how I feel as a black person and the black representation, I will say that I enjoyed seeing, all right, the white people are doing this and the Latinos are doing that and the Puerto Ricans and the whites and they're fighting. All right, I don't see any black people. The only time we have the black person is when they're like, yeah, you boys want to buy a gun. It's like, so that bothered, that bothered me. I will say I did wince that the first time we meet a black character is when they're trying to get a gun. So that did bother me. But, you know, such is life. Yeah, and that and it's, and it's funny because um, San Juan Hill, in the way the movie portrays it, it's like no black people live there. Like they just wiped out that part of history of real life in the film. It was just like a Puerto Rican neighborhood. I'm like, wait a minute. If you read all the profiles of San Juan Hill back then, uh, there might have been more African-Americans living there than Puerto Ricans. And so to not see the African-American community uh, there, I, I know this is a Puerto Rican story, but it, the, the background of the neighborhood should have been filled with African-American experiences. There it is. That's what I'm saying. So for me, uh, it's 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 like, wow, you got your glasses on now. They're polished, but you still got some blind spots you know, so, <laughs> and I don't think movies are ever meant to be perfect uh, because they're 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 corruptible because humans are corruptible. And if humans are creating it, then therefore they're not perfect. You brought up something else here. Without you, made me think of something I hadn't thought of before, and and that is in the retelling of stories and and just the whole notion of like, okay, let's tell it better. Let's reimagine the same damn story. How about we have Macbeth, and it's not Lawrence Olivier in it's blackface, and it's Denzel Washington. <laughs> exactly. We've made Macbeth before with great actors, but do we ever make Macbeth? You, you know what I mean? How long what, did it take to have an actual black person play Macbeth? All this time. That's what I'm getting at. So, you know, it's the lens. And then finally, Mike, I think that my final question on West Side Story is the the Oscar expectations around this film. Is this the movie that's going to win Best Picture at the Oscars? I don't know that it'll win Best Picture. Will it be nominated? Absolutely. I do not know that it will win Best Picture. I think there are other contenders, but I think it's a strong contender. All right, Mike, that's it for this 67th episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. Next week, we'll bring you our top films and TV shows of 2021 or year end list. And if you want to follow our comments and opinions on Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.